2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, we've quoted this for at least the last three weeks. Paul writing to Timothy and telling him, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time for my departure is close. I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I've kept the faith. And we know Paul's story and what all he meant when he said that. And he said, there's reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on that day. And it makes sense to us when we read the story of Paul, that he would get a crown of righteousness when he gets to heaven, that there would be a reward for him. All that he did, all he endured for the gospel. That makes sense. And then he says, he'll, the righteous judge, the Lord will give me that crown of righteousness on that day. And not only to me, he says, but also to all those who have loved his appearing, the Lord's appearing. He's saying there's a crown of righteousness set up for me. He said, but not just for me, but everybody, every part of the body who has loved the appearing of Jesus. And he's talking about the second coming. When Christ comes again, those who have been looking in hopeful expectation for the return of their Savior. But I told you last week, how can you love his second coming if you don't love him? And how can you love him if you don't love every time he shows up in life? Because you'll see that as we walk through this life as a Christ follower, as a believer, we see him show up in our life. And it is he is lovely. Every appearance is lovely. So we've been talking about some of the ways and times that Christ appears, that there's an appearance of Christ in our life. And last week we talked about communion, that he meets us at the table. And we spent a lot of time talking about that. And today I want to spend a little bit of time talking about baptism. Baptism, how it is a view of Christ and his work in our life and our union with him. Amen. It's one of the most beautiful appearances you'll see of Christ within the body. And we're going to talk about that today. So Jumping off of that in Second Timothy, I, I want to pray and then I want us to turn to Romans chapter five. Father in heaven, anoint your word today. God, I know it's alive and active and sharper than any two edged sword. God, I thank you that you'll take the poverty of my remarks and translate them to each heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to the wonders of your word and the wonders of your work on the inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit and to the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. Thank you in his name. Amen. So we're going to turn with me talking about baptism to Romans 5 and 20. And we're going to read there just the last bit of chapter 5 and then into the first part of chapter 6. Paul writing to the church of Rome said, The law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Chapter six, verse one. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or were you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into ism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life or in new life. 
So he's talking, he, he, he's going through in the book of Romans, just an exposition of what the gospel is. And he's telling them the law came, the rules came from heaven to say, this is how you should live to multiply the transgression, to point out to us how sinful we were. But he said, just as sin was multiplied in that grace has been multiplied in Christ Jesus. Just as sin reigned, grace now reigns through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then in the first of chapter six, he said, how then should we live? Should we continue to sin so that God's grace can abound to us much more? He's like, well, that's just silly thing to say. We shouldn't even think that. He said, how should we live? We should live as those who are aware that when we've been baptized into Christ, we've been baptized into his death. And verse four we were buried with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised, so we also would be raised to walk in the newness of life. Now, that's a lot, right? There's a lot there. It's kind of like when we started talking about communion, we look at it at first. It's like there's some juice. There's a cracker. OK, this is making sense to me. And then we go and read where Jesus said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood to enter into the kingdom. We're like, whoa, this is a lot all of a sudden. Right. So we, we think baptism, we think the tub and we think it's full of water and we think the preacher. But what he's saying here is that in it we're dead and buried and also alive with Christ. So we're going to unpack that a little bit today. I want you to have a good understanding of what it means when you get in that water and are baptized into Christ's death, burial and resurrection. So baptism, simple definition is a ceremony that exhibits our union with Christ. It's a ceremony that shows our union with Christ. We baptize because number one, he told us to. He told us to baptize and to be baptized. And, and then when we do, it helps us to see what is otherwise unseen. It helps us to lay eyes on something that would otherwise be invisible to us. So a little teaching or a little background teaching on baptism, because, you know, growing up, especially in the South and in the time where we've, you know, lived, baptism is just something that's always existed, right? I mean, you always at least knew what it was. I've never run into anybody around here who was like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. They may not have understood it at any depth, but they understood, hey, the church baptizes people. They have sometimes even have a tub just sitting up, a permanent tub in the back for baptizing people. And so we have an understanding of that. But, but when did this start? Where did this show up? If you search scripture, the first time you see something that's like unto the baptism that we know today isn't until John the Baptist, John the baptizer in the River Jordan in the book of Matthew, right? Where people were coming out of the city. He was preaching that people should be baptized. That word means to dip, dipped in the water there of the River Jordan to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be Forgiven. It says people came from all over out to the Jordan, confessed their sins, repented, which means changed the way that they thought. I used to think this was the way I should live. Now I've changed my mind. I've seen this isn't the way that I should live. And he baptized them in water. And this is the first time that what we think of as baptism was exhibited. So did it just come out of nowhere? Kind of. Yes and no. It was unique. There had never been anything 
like this, uh, you know, a wild man out in the desert wearing camel hair clothes and eating honey and locusts, preaching to people saying, you should be baptized in this water for the repentance of sins to turn back to God. But they did have a likeness of it even in the Old Testament. And in the temple, they had something called the mikvah, which was a, which was a pool of water that you would dip in if you were ceremonially unclean. Not that you would just dip in, well, my feet are dirty. I don't want to go in with dirty feet into the temple. But ceremonially unclean, there were multiple ways that you could become unclean to the point where it, you weren't allowed to enter the temple, right? If you touched a dead body, you were unclean for a certain period of time until you washed and then you could go into the temple. It, it, was, it was set to help them understand how unclean we are and how we need to be clean to enter into God's presence. And so there was an example of this in the Old Testament where they would dip in that mikvah in order to be clean to enter into God's presence to worship in there in the temple. And another form that it was used in in that day, if you were outside of the nation of Israel, because when this whole thing started, they were a family that grew into a nation and they were God's special people. And so if you were outside, you were outside. You were an outsider, but you could convert and, and, and assimilate into part of the family. And one of the ways that they would exhibit that is you would be dipped into the water. So again, unclean to clean, an outsider brought in and brought close. So, so there were likenesses of baptism. You see, it's even like kind of what we believe baptism ex exhibits or resembles today. So it's really cool there. It's like those, but listen, it was still very different. John's baptism there in the Jordan. And these were practices that were like baptism, but there's also pictures of it in the Old Testament. Remember last week we talked about the picture of the Lord's Supper of Communion in the Passover. And we talked about how the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt and God freed them after the 10 plagues. God freed them and said, I want you to forever celebrate this meal to remember that I was the one that delivered you out. So there was the likeness of com communion uh, of the Lord's Supper in the Passover. And in that same story, when they left out of Egypt after that 10th plague, Pharaoh, who had said the whole time, no, you can't go. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I'm not going to do that. Released them. They plundered the city. They, they sent them out with gold, hoping to be released from the plagues. And the children of Israel escaped by the power of God into the wilderness. And then shortly after that, Pharaoh regretted letting them go. I shouldn't have done that. Now they win. I'm going to go get them back. And so he loads up with 600 chariots and begins to chase down this large group of people that is leaving out of the city and headed towards the land that God has promised them. And then they end up, you, some of you know the story, they end up with the Red Sea in front of them and then the Egyptians crashing down behind them. So they're trapped in between two places. And the way they would have seen that water wouldn't have just been, well, that's a lot of water. You know, we, we can't really pass that way. They saw water as a threat. Water was where you went if you wanted to die. It was a dangerous thing. It was chaotic and it was unfriendly and it represented death. And, and so you have this image of them between you know, we talk about between a rock and a hard place. That's where they were. They're trapped between the Red Sea 
and the Egyptians, and, and most of y'all, some of y'all know the story, God parted the sea. He opened it up where you could see the ground opened up between two walls of water. How did he do that? I do not know. He's God. He controls the atoms and the molecules. He can do it. And he left it open all night and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold them back and I'm going to let the breeze blow on this so y'all don't get all muddy when you're walking through here. You don't believe me? Go read it. It's in there. He dried the ground for them to walk through and then Moses led the people through this, passed through the water and to the other side. And the Egyptians see them escaping this way and they're like, we're going to follow them through there. Let's go. And so they enter in. The Israelites are all cleared out. Moses raises his staff as God had commanded him to and all the water crashes down on their enemy and they are swept away. Swept away. So enemy on one side, water on the other. God opens it up. They pass through the water and then one enemy consumes the other enemy and neither is a threat any longer to the children of Israel. It's an amazing story. And, and you see images of uh, the, the water in other places in the Old Testament. In the very beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void and the spirit hovered over the face of the deep, over the face of the water. So this image of chaotic waters that the spirit hovered over and brought order out of chaos in creation. We could talk about Noah and the ark and how they passed through the waters of judgment and chaos and storm and survived onto the other side. And even Moses, who led the children out of Egypt as God's prophet, led them out when he was a baby. His mother put him in a basket and sent him where? Out into the water. He passed through the water from what would have been his death because they were killing all the baby boys. And I know we're covering a lot. You're like, I don't know about any of that. Just hang on. We'll, we'll get back. Passed through the water away from death and was saved through it. So, so you see all these pictures of passing through the water, being delivered from the enemy, the spirit hovering over the face of the deep. And then we read in Romans 6 where it's talking about we're baptized into Christ's death. That, that, that thing, that death that was a threat to us, no longer a threat because we are now in Christ Jesus. So you see that in these pictures. The last one, again, children of Israel, after that, after they passed through, after the Egyptians are consumed, they wandered in the wilderness, right? We could talk about that. But they wandered in the wilderness until they could finally enter into the promised land. And when they entered into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey that God had promised to their people, they were being led by Joshua and they came up again to a body of water. They came up to the Jordan River and God again parted the water. They passed through the water into the promised land. Again, what was the river that they crossed that God opened for them to pass into the promised land? It was the Jordan River. River. Where was John the baptizer baptizing people 
in the Jordan River. People are passing through the waters to renew their commitment to God and to repent of their sins. Jesus himself, it says, so that all things would be fulfilled, was baptized by John in the Jordan River. So the same river that the Israelites had crossed to enter into the promised land, Jesus is baptized in that river. The Spirit of God descends like a dove, hovers over the water to show this is the Christ. Again, there's a lot there. I've been missing our Wednesday night Bible study. That's the kind of stuff we'd really break into on that. So if you're enjoying that, you come on Wednesday nights once we get that cranked back up in August. But Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, commanded his followers, go and make disciples and baptize them. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Even you see it in Acts chapter 2, one of the first things they did, the first sermon that went out after the Holy Spirit fell and the church was ignited. Peter stood up to preach and he preached Jesus. And while he's preaching, people are interrupting him, asking, what, what, what must we do? What you have said has pierced us to the heart. How different that altar call was than so many we have, right? You know, now I... So I'll say, I'll say something about this. This was something that, that starts to bite. Have you ever been in a service and there's an altar call and you can tell nobody's responding? And so the preacher starts to get a lot more general. He's like, you know, if anybody, you know, wants to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, be saved from your sins, you know, put your little hand up. Let me know. You know, nobody and maybe nobody raised their hand. Well, if anybody, you know, you, you say just not where you're supposed to be with the Lord, raise your hand. You know, these are important things to ask. And then you can always tell when not many people have been raising their hand because then they say something like anybody in here want to love Jesus more and you're like, I think that's all of us. Like, that's all. Like, you start asking questions like, that's every, anybody in here a person that just wants to love Jesus more? And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's all. Y'all just all come down here. Just everybody come down here. And I'm like, you could I don't understand what, like, yes, we, you should have known we were all that, you know? And, and if we weren't, then you would have been. Anyway, you won't see me do that. I'll give the first part, not the second part. Yeah, anybody just want to, do you just feel like, you know, I'd like, to, I'd like to live better for God. Yes, yes, that's why we're here to start. Anyway, sidetrack. But anyway, Peter's preaching, different kind of altar call. He's getting interrupted. How awesome is the message going forth that people are like, whoa, we don't need to hear anything else. You stop right there. What do we need to do? You have us. Like you have cut to our heart. What do we need to do? And he said, repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized. Why? Because that's what Jesus said to do. We baptize because he told us to. And, and like I told you, it helps us see what would otherwise be unseen. Because when we heard the gospel, when we believed on the gospel, it cut to our hearts. We saw our sin and the judgment on that sin by a holy God, and we didn't know what we were going to do. And then we had extended to us in Christ Jesus God's grace to say, yes, your sin, but I'll punish that on Christ. He will take it and give to you his 
righteousness. So His grace reigning and changing us, rescuing us out of darkness and into light. That's as good as it gets. It doesn't get any better than that. So why do we get in the water? Do we get in the water to be saved, to finish it up, to go, well, I'm almost there. I just have to do this to check the final box. No, no, he did. He did. He does. He completed the work. So we don't get in the water to finish it up. We get in the water again. Number one, he told us to. And number two, it's truth that we can touch. Just like communion, it's truth that we can touch, that we can experience. The, the, the water doesn't finish anything off. Peter, who preached that awesome sermon that had people interrupting him, said when he wrote about it in uh, 1 Peter 3, he said, the water doesn't wash anything off of you. That's not how you're cleansed. What it is, it's a pledge of a conscience that has been cleansed by Christ Jesus. There's no power in the water. The power is in the resurrection. The water is to help me understand what happened to me in Christ. What happened on the inside of my heart, what he has done in me. It doesn't support my salvation, but it encourages my heart of my salvation. It gives me that physical experience that I could go, no, this is what happened to me. So that when I'm, yeah. <laughs> so that when I'm enduring things in life that would cause me to question and cause me to doubt, I can remember, no, 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 hold on. I've been baptized into Christ's death. And if I've been united with him in death and I'm also united with him in resurrection so I can walk in newness of life and I don't have to be afraid as I walk through this life. He is with me. We are united. And it gives me something that I remember. And it also, you see me go in the water. You're part of the worshiping body. You're part of the assembly. You see me go in the water. So you're able to encourage me, Stephen. No, 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 no. Remember, don't, don't, don't turn from this. Don't, don't run from this. Hold tight to this. I saw, I was there. I know what the Lord has done in your life. I know that you've been buried with him and raised with him to newness of life. You will endure this and you will be victorious in this. It gives the body something to worship around. Because again, my heart was defiled and I was baptized into the mikvah, essentially of his grace. I was dirty and he washed me clean. I was on the outside of the camp. I wasn't a part of the family of God and he brought me in. He made me a part of a family that I wasn't a part of and made it like I had been there the whole time. And so maybe concluded, maybe not. We'll see. It, looking at this in Romans six, I want us to look at it again, but we won't read back into verse five. We'll just look here in verse three and move forward a little bit. Romans 6, 3 said, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. So we too may walk in newness of life. And remember, look up, this isn't me reading, this is me talking. Remember, he said, it's like some of y'all think that you should just keep sinning so God can forgive you more. He's like, no, no, you died. 
You don't, you, you shouldn't seek after that anymore. You died in Christ. And just as Christ was raised, you've also been raised to newness of life. It's mean, why does it mean I'm never going to sin? It, it should mean you, you're not going to want to. That that desire starts to change. He's like, why are you still running that way when he's over here? Be pursuing him. Amen. Verse five. So for if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him for the death he died. He died to sin once and for all time. But if he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is what it teaches us. The, the water teaches us what's actually happened in our heart. He's reminding them. These are people that have been saved, that are following Christ. And he's like, just remember what that, what that did on the inside of you. That you were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were trapped under the law that called you a sinner. But when you were baptized into Christ... You were baptized into the likeness of his death. A dead man is freed from all of his debts. He can't owe him anymore. He said, but you didn't stay dead. Just like you didn't stay down in the water. Christ didn't stay down in the grave. He rose again. So because you were, you were united with him in death, you're still united with him when he rose. So in life and in death, he is your hope. Just like we sang this morning. So when I got in the water, for those of you that have been baptized, when you got in the water, there's this picture of chaos and death. Again, they didn't see the water as their friend. They didn't have swimming pools that they would go play, you know, play in like we do. They didn't see it like that. This was something to be feared and respected, kind of like how we see death today, right? We're, we, the Bible says that we had a fear of death that was pent up in our hearts that he came to deliver us from. And so when we see that water, that's what we're supposed to remember. And then I've confessed my sin to God. I'm just like the Israelites. Death is chasing me down from this side and I'm meeting it on this side. I am trapped in between two things that are trying to kill me. And then just like they did, I passed through the water. They pass through the water to the other side. When you were baptized, you pass through the water. And think about when you get dunked underwater. Everything goes quiet, doesn't it? You wouldn't have heard the thunder. Everything goes quiet. Even breath stops. Hopefully, don't be breathing if we're putting you under the water. It's <laughs> the first thing we teach you. Don't, don't breathe in while you're under there. Be baptized today. You don't want to meet him today. He's still got some stuff for you to do here. But everything goes quiet. My breath stops. It's just that it's that sight line of death going down into the grave. And if you've been baptized, unless you're that little boy on the YouTube video who's just like, I can't wait. I'm going to go right now. Have you seen that? Oh, it's the funniest thing ever. 
But unless you're him, someone is baptizing you in the water. Someone's putting you down into the water. Well, what is that showing? There's some surrender there, right? I'm letting this person dump me under the water. There's a surrender. I'm surrendering to Christ. I'm united with him in his death. But just like he didn't stay in the grave, I don't stay in the water. He didn't stay in the grave. I don't stay in the water. I'm lifted out just like he was raised from the dead. The Bible says also to walk in newness of life. So you see just this beautiful picture, this appearing of Christ that we see in baptism. It's a reminder for me that I'm laying my life down in him because he laid his life down for me. He died for me, went all the way down to the depths of the grave for me. That thing, like I said, we have that fear of death pent up in our hearts, the thing that we're most afraid of. He went down to the very depths of it, to the very bottom, and then came back to show that he had completely and utterly defeated death, that death didn't have a hold on him. So when he was raised, Paul, Paul's saying all of this happened. The water is to show you, because you can't see all of that happening. I can tell you that it, you, you can't see it. The water is a way for you to be able to see it. Because he rose, we're brought up out of the water. And in verse four, it says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, so we too may walk in the newness of life, not the old life that we live. That's supposed to stay down there. Again, we know there's some gaps when we come up out of the water. Nobody came up out of the water and go, I've never sinning again was perfect from then on. But God begins to close those gaps in our hearts and our minds and in our life so that we look more like him. He does that by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. When you're raised up out of the water, that old tyrant sin that you were a slave to it stays in the water. He said, when you died, you died in Christ. Sin, your master stayed down. It's not your master anymore. Before you were saved, all you could do was sin. You couldn't do anything better than that. But he's given us now a new life in Christ. I'm not its slave. Death has been conquered by death and I'm raised up into new life. And baptism is a ceremony that exhibits our union with him. What he's done for us, we see it in baptism. It makes our acceptance into him visible both to us and again, to the worshiping congregation. It's long been a sign of you're, you're not just being baptized into Christ, but you're also now accepted into the fellowship of the church. You're one of us. You're a part of the family. You're walking with us in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful appearing of Jesus in our life. So are we saved when we're baptized? No. Should I be baptized? Yes but not that type of should. Maybe you say it like this, must I be baptized? Yes, but not that type of must. And I'm thinking about this story that I heard uh, a, a husband and a wife been married for a long time and he's about to go to bed and he says to her from across the room, must I kiss you goodnight? And her answer was yes, but not that kind of must, right? Yes, you must, but not like you must. It's like, yes. Right. 
almost the thought of, why, why wouldn't you want to? And, and that's the way I see baptism. Must you be baptized? No, but why wouldn't you want to be? Why wouldn't you want to see that in your life, that exhibition of God's grace and transformation in your life, what you were baptized into and brought up out of? Why wouldn't you want to share in that awesome appearing of Jesus and the testimony of his grace? Amen. So who should be baptized? Those who have repented of their sins. Those who have come to Christ as their Lord and as their Savior, who are declaring, I was a sinner and now I'm not because of Jesus. Where should you be baptized? In the assembly of the church, amongst the worshiping body of believers. Could you be baptized out somewhere? Sure. Get some folks from the church there. The assembly needs to worship around that. Because again, why would you want to, you wouldn't just keep that to yourself. This is a testimony of God's goodness in our life and something that also preaches while it's happening. It's like Paul said, when you take the cup and you take the bread and you take communion, you're proclaiming the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are preaching a message. When you're baptized, you're preaching a message and it's going out amongst the body and then anybody else. You're going through the waters of death and following Jesus out the other side and into the new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And you're walking into that newness of life, that creating again, both inside of you and outside of you, new life. Again, John was baptizing people in the River Jordan, the same one they crossed to enter into the promised land. I don't think we're going to leave anytime soon. So you just sit tight. We'll go outside, get baptized right now. Different kind of, a lot of water out there. But passing through the waters and into the promised land, not just Canaan land. It's still over there. It's kind of rough right now. But the land that he promised us, his kingdom, the one that he said, though, unless you be born again, you won't see it. Amen. So I would tell you, as I do close, Andrew, if you want to go ahead and come, we'll get ready to sing together and everybody can wait for the rain to stop so we can leave. But if you have questions about baptism or you have interest in being baptized, let me know. I want to talk with you about that. I want you to experience that blessing, proclaim that message in your life. If you're ready to be baptized, we will baptize you. We got this tub. It don't even take long to fill up. We could get it done in just a few minutes. Doesn't have to be scheduled. Now I will tell you, we have a baptizing schedule for August the 8th. Already got a young man who we're going to baptize that day. We can include you that day. We can include you today. We can include you next day. We can get you in the water because it is a glorious appearing of Jesus Christ in our life. So mark that down. If you're not getting in the water, you do want to be here August 8th so that you can celebrate that 
with us as the body. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Seal this as we get ready to go today. Father, thank you that we will always be those who love your appearing. And Lord, we'll see you all over this life. I thank you for the purposeful moments that you have implanted in our life so that we can see you clearly. God, when we come to the communion table, when we come to the baptismal pool, we see you there. We see the work that you have done, the sacrifice that you made, what it bought and paid for us, what you endured to pay our ransom from sin and death to unite us in your death, your burial, and God, thank you also your resurrection, that you remain our only hope in life and in death. It rests in Christ Jesus, and what a better place for it to rest we couldn't find. Because if it were resting in us, we'd have ruined it already. God, but set in him, it is eternal and it is everlasting. Lord, that we will continue to see you exactly where you told us that you would be. God at the table, God at the pool, God in our daily walk with you. You meet us in prayer. You meet us in the scripture. You meet us in the fellowship service of the body of Christ. You meet us in worship. Every time we look for you where you said you'd be, we find you there because you are faithful. And God, we thank you. I thank you for those that have on their heart to get in the water. I thank you, Lord, that they won't be held back by anything of this world, God, but they will be propelled into it by your goodness and by your grace and that we will worship around that together the good things that you have done for us. God, as we get ready to go today, protect us, keep us safe through weather, through anything that may come up. I think that there's health and wholeness upon your people. God, we bind this virus that's trying to raise its head again. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to be afraid. We can walk with confidence, God, but we also want your protection, that you preserve us and sustain us through whatever we walk through. We thank you for that. We thank you that as we go, we go in unity and peace with each other, strengthened by having been in your presence and in the presence of each other today. Lord, and help us keep our eyes open open this week and our tanks full so that we will be ready to encourage those that need it. Lord, you are going to bring across our path those that need encouragement, that need courage put back on the inside of them. And I thank you that we can do that by the power of the Spirit. And you give us that knowing and that desire and that ability. We can trust you in it. In Jesus' name, we thank you for all these things. Amen. Amen.